and welcome to If Cage Wells Could Talk, your weekly heart-to-heart on all things animals. My name is Jody Whitaker, and I am the founder and executive director of the Chicago Alliance for Animals, the Partnership to Ban Horse Carriages Worldwide, and the Center for Ethical Science. This show was brought to you and created by my all-grassroots volunteer organizations working to liberate animals from suffering and pain. Uh, Quickly, I want to mention a few of uh, our upcoming events. On Friday, March 1st, we're going to have a CAA Vegan Power and Action Hour at X Market in Chicago from 7 to 9 p.m. where we share a nice meal and possibly a drink or cocktail. And then we're going to stamp and uh, address postcards to officials to urge them to enforce their humane laws. So, uh, yeah, that'll be at X Market in Chicago at the corner of uh, Clarendon and Montrose on March 1st from 7 to 9 p.m. And then uh, Giving Tuesday uh, on March 12th, uh, the wonderful Neiman from Kale My Name is uh, generously doing a, uh, a Giving Tuesday for Chicago Alliance for Animals where Kale My Name will generously donate 20% of dine-in, takeout, and retail sales uh, to CAA. And delivery sales are excluded, so please be sure to eat in the restaurant or order for pickup. Uh, and then... Uh, that's, uh, that's basically it for the upcoming events. And, uh, of course, we'll have uh, some upcoming Lincoln Wood meetings in March that we'll be talking about as well. So now I'd like to introduce my next guests. I greatly appreciate the work of, of uh, what they do because pigeons are important to me. And uh, I, I am saddened about how they are vilified all the time. So I'd like to welcome Hava Sanier, the co-founder of Great Lakes Pigeon Rescue and Liz Chaloner, Secretary and Treasurer of Great Lakes Pigeon Rescue. Welcome, ladies. Hello. Hello, thank you for having us. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time. I know that you have a lot of work always with um, many uh, rescues that you have. So uh, let's just get right into this. Hava, why did you form the Great Lakes Pigeon Rescue? So I've been involved in wild bird rescue and rehabilitation for a long time. I've always felt drawn towards birds, and I was a wild bird rehabber for decades. And this, of course, brought pigeons across my radar periodically. And when we were living in Chicago and I was volunteering in this capacity, I noticed, and my four close friends who co-founded the rescue with me, which included Liz, noticed the same thing. We noticed that there was essentially, we essentially did a, a gap analysis of the bird rescue world and noticed that there was little to no one helping pigeons. Many people don't realize that pigeons are actually, in the United States, legally considered domestic birds. That's why when you see a pigeon outside in the city, they're not called wild pigeons. They're actually called feral pigeons, which is much the same as we call street cats feral cats because they're they're loose domestic animals. They're not native wild species. So because of this, many of the wildlife rescue centers were turning pigeons away, especially many of the ones who were... um, who rely on state funds were required to turn away non-native, non-wild species. But then when people would turn to a domestic bird rescue for help with a pigeon, the domestic bird rescues were only equipped to take care of parrots and not pigeons, who are very different birds. So really, pigeons were 
often left with no help at all, nowhere to turn if someone found an injured um, or pigeon otherwise unable to survive in the wild. And we can get into more details about that later. So I quite literally turned to Liz and our two other friends and said, we need to start a pigeon rescue. We need to do this. And, and so we did. And now, um, let's see, six years later, Great Lakes Pigeon Rescue is the largest dedicated pigeon and dove rescue in the country. It's wonderful. And, uh, you know, this has always bothered me uh, because so many people, and even friends of mine, will, will call pigeons flying rats. And, will, you know, they say they just put them down. And why do you think they have such a bad rap? Pigeons can be very polarizing. I think a lot of people sadly get resentful about sharing urban spaces with um, non-humans. There can be a lot of pigeons in the city and they poop. And I think this causes people um, a lot of frustration. And I, I really think it comes down honestly to a common misunderstanding of not realizing that they are domestic birds. The reason you don't, the reason you see pigeons in urban environments and you don't see pigeons out in very rural areas is because even after generations of hatching outdoors, there is still something, uh, there's the gene of domesticity is still somehow so powerful that pigeons truly do not know how to survive without being around humans. They, literally don't know how to survive other than to follow humans around and kind of be in their wake and survive off of their scraps in the city. And so I think if people had a better understanding of that, as opposed to most people think they're wild birds. And so I'm sure they kind of feel this frustration of, you know, oh my gosh, Illinois has all these beautiful rural spaces. Like why don't these birds go live somewhere else and stop pooping on my balcony? And, and I think a greater awareness of the fact that these birds don't know how to, they can't, um, will help people have more compassion for them. That's very interesting. So they were brought here and domesticated and they depend on human scraps for food to survive. That is completely, completely correct. They're not a native species to North America. They were domesticated hundreds of years ago and brought to North America as domestic animals. And then enough were either abandoned or got loose that they, you now see them living in, you know, little colonies in, in cities, much like exactly the same as, as we see with feral cats or, or in some countries, you know, people, you see chickens walking around in the cities. It's the exact same thing. Or like Key West where there's roosters everywhere. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yes, exactly. Yes. And in Key West, uh, it's, the roosters are appreciated. I mean, I, maybe not by all, but the city itself basically lets everyone know roosters are here there we share the city with them and uh and that's it so if you don't like it you know then don't visit but uh and it's always bothered me because i think like you said there are so many pigeons and but there are so many humans so why what's wrong with just sharing you know we're an urban city so just just like there are a lot of pigeons there are a lot of humans too i know i don't know if that (laughs) that's a good argument but that's how i've always felt uh, and then couldn't, couldn't agree couldn't agree more. And there are definitely <laughs> healthy ways to coexist with pigeons in in the city. And um, I know that's a topic that Liz has been researching recently. 
Right. And since we're on that uh, there, uh, Liz, would you like to clear up a common misunderstanding about feeding pigeons in Chicago? Yeah, I would, actually, because I've been, um, you know, when you Google, is it illegal to feed pigeons in in Chicago, um, <laughs> I was disheartened to see, uh, you know, two different, I mean, yes, yes, it was illegal, and, and uh, no, it was not illegal. So that was driving me nuts, just the, uh, you know, the inconsistency, um, as well as, as recently as August, there was an NBC um, report uh, where it stated that it was illegal to feed pigeons in the city. So uh, I, I guess uh, you saw the recent uh, Chicago Tribune article um, that uh, talked yes. about Great Lakes Pigeon Rescue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So within that article, uh, there was a, a source um, quoted um, regarding pigeons living within residential areas. So I decided her name is um, Kristen. I'm going to probably murder the name uh, Cabin Ban, and she is with the City of Chicago Department of Law. Um, she was quoted with an opinion on pigeons living in residential areas. So I reached out to her and asked her the question, is it illegal to feed pigeons in Chicago? And she responded and said, um, the Chicago Municipal Code does not explicitly prohibit the feeding of pigeons. So there you go. <laughs> so it's legal. And so what's maddening is, so I guess, yeah, I'd like to set the record straight and just say that these, you know, NBC5, um, you know, it is, it is not illegal. So, um, yeah. Well, thank you for doing that research. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that because I, you do see the signs. Uh, actually, mm-hmm. when I leave the station, I usually walk over to uh, to take a bus uh, at, a, at the Jefferson Park um, CTA, uh, where there's a CTA station where there's a lot of buses and trains. Uh, and there, there are those signs everywhere, no feeding pigeons. And um, I actually get peanuts and I do feed them. <laughs> Don't arrest me. But uh, I did a, and please uh, confirm that uh, peanuts are okay. I did some research and it said that it's a good food for pigeons, especially in the cold winter. Yes, yes, definitely. It's peanuts are an excellent food. It's a source of protein for them. It's a healthy fat. It's high energy. So peanuts or safflower seeds or um unshelled with the shell removed unsalted sunflower seeds they're all excellent foods for pigeons and and any any bird in um sharing space with you in the city especially in the winter time right there's a dollar store near here and i'll go and pick up three or four cans and i just you know you try not to have them all flock to you at once because of course that annoys everybody uh not everybody doesn't annoy me but it doesn't annoy people and so i try to do it so you know i get a few here and there but you know i do feel for them and they're trying to survive this cold that you know we can go we've got our heavy coats and then we can go inside inside our warm homes so it's always been saddening to me to see these pigeons out in the cold so now I'm getting upset. And, All right. <laughs> um, and well, thank you for your compassion because nutrition is so important for birds to survive the cold. The way birds stay warm in the winter is by burning calories with their high metabolism. So by giving them food, that actually helps them to stay warm. So you're helping them to survive through the winter um, with your compassion and your peanuts. (laughs) And I'll do it again after this show. Uh, So Hava, please tell us about Jonah, the pigeon who started it all. 
Jonah is an amazing bird and also involves Liz is his godmother <laughs> and because Liz actually was involved in the rescue of Jonah and Jonah is the pigeon who truly inspired my husband and I to go from being all bird wildlife rehabbers to really putting all of our focus on on pigeons because Jonah Jonah's will to live was remarkable and it's so such a great example of how pigeons love life and want to live and want to survive and want to adapt to whatever challenges come their way. Jonah had suffered two leg fractures two leg fractures, one in in each of his legs and had somehow survived both of these without treatment. But because of not having treatment, the legs fused badly so that his legs stuck out from angles from his body. And one in particular stuck out at a right angle from his body. So he he really only had one functioning leg at best and then had suffered some kind of collision injury, probably either flying into a window or being hit by a car and had become completely paralyzed from the neck down and was spotted by a Chicago police officer. Jonah was literally using his beak to drag himself down an alleyway. Wow. And his entire underside was completely ripped open with wounds from dragging himself across the stones, but he still had, would not give up. He still wanted so desperately to survive. And so we're so thankful that the (laughs) police officer who saw Jonah had the compassion to want to do something to help him and called around until found um you know it's a it's a small it's a small world bird rescue in chicago and reached liz and liz um waited there at the site until liz walked over to the alleyway to pick up jonah and fortunately liz's excellent triage skills enabled her to notice that jonah was severely emaciated he'd clearly been trying to survive like this for quite some time and because he certainly couldn't get himself to adequate food and water in this condition, was very, very close to to passing. And Liz called me and said, if this bird doesn't get emergency <laughs> care tonight, he's going to die. And I'm yeah. so grateful Liz said that because we drove over to Liz's condo. Liz handed us Jonah, and by the time we got home, he was unconscious. And so, of course, we gave him emergency fluids and supportive feedings when his body was able to handle it. And he survived the night, and then the next day, and the next day, and he was completely paralyzed for six weeks. And we thought that he may not regain the use of his, his legs. And then after six weeks, um, so we were giving him hydrotherapy, twice daily hydrotherapy to try to try and help, um, you know, restore, you know, support his body's healing process in case he would be able to restore mobility. And again, these are all things that prior to Great Lakes Pigeon Rescue, Jonah probably would have been immediately euthanized. And 
that would have been better than dying on the street, mm-hmm. but not but not a happy ending for this bird who fought so hard to survive and wanted so desperately to live. And so Great Lakes Pigeon Rescue gives pigeons this chance for life just that that anyone deserves. And after six weeks, one of Jonah's toes started to move. Oh, wow. And from there, another toe moved a few days later, and he gradually regained full mobility in in his legs. And we were able to have his his leg that stuck out at a right angle. Um, we actually brought him to Medical Center for Birds in California, and they were able to um, basically reconstruct his leg for him so that he now stands on two feet like like it never happened. And mm-hmm. just Jonah's tenacity and the realization that he's staying with us because he had nowhere else to go was what was the turning point for me in saying, these are the birds I need to help. All birds need help, but these are the birds who no one else is helping currently. Oh my gosh. I should, I should say, amazing. I should say at, at the time that was in the Chicago metro area, I don't want to give the impression that there are no other pigeon rescues in the United States. There are wonderful pigeon rescues across the U.S., including Palomacy in San Francisco, who uh, is a wonderful vegan pigeon rescue organization that inspired us a lot when we were founding Great Lakes Pigeon Rescue. So when I say no one else, mm-hmm. I meant, I mean, in the Chicago metro, I mean, in the Chicago metro area, just to clarify. Sure. Well, that's an amazing story. And is is he still around? Yes, he is. He is still a member of our family, Aww. along with his wife, Kage, who was also rescued in Chicago, but several years later. And yes, Jonah, uh, you know, from, from Jonah, then as we started helping more pigeons, of course, we wound up welcoming more into our family as well. So we now have a total of eight family members, um, but Jonah still remains one of the most um Oh, what's the what's the right word? He definitely makes it clear to everyone that he was the first pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> Is he a bit of a, He's a um, top bird? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has a very very spunky personality. You can definitely see his his will to live in all of his actions. <laughs> and and he, you're saying he can walk? Uh, can he fly? I mean, does he fly in your home? Yes, yes, wow. he does. So, uh, fun fun fact, um, you know, pigeons do make wonderful, wonderful indoor family members, pets, whatever term you want to use. And uh, they're even, you know, great little apartment companions. And there is such a thing as bird diapers. <laughs> so, just I tell the pigeons in the morning, just like I get dressed every morning, they also get dressed every morning. And then they can go anywhere they like in our in our townhouse. It's not safe for them to go outdoors because they're all the eight that we adopted are all birds who can't survive outdoors. Mm-hmm. And um, and yes, he's he's fully able he's fully able to fly. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, and how long do these diapers last? <laughs> like in a day? So the <laughs> really, <laughs> just really curious. more detail than you ever thought you would know about bird diapers. <laughs> so the on the exterior, um, and if anyone is interested, if you Google Bev's Bird Boutique, you can see lots of cute photos of 
birds wearing diapers. She's a wonderful rescue-focused lady in um, South Africa who sews the 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 outfits and so they truly are little outfits designed to be very comfortable for the bird and then inside there's a little pouch where you can just put in a panty liner or a folded piece of paper towel and then that's the part that you change out whenever it gets dirty it's a large enough pouch that um you know we usually only have to change you know you say every four hours or so which you know is like once in the course of an eight hour day sure um and and yeah it's very it's very easy the outfit itself stays clean and then you just change out the little diaper just like you would with a human child (laughs) and uh this might sound like a stupid question but if for someone who has a companion cats or dogs um it i'm guessing it wouldn't be safe uh because cats would be you know that's an Excellent question. <laughs> Actually, with, with pigeons, it is. Um, at the time my husband and I adopted Jonah, we had four cats sharing the space with us in our quite small Chicago apartment. And so it is, uh, surprisingly, most pigeon adopters also have cats and dogs in their household. So you want to take safety precautions. You know, usually you would not want to leave them unsupervised, for Mm -hmm. example. But when you're home supervising, it's very interesting because pigeons don't seem to trigger the prey-predator instinct in a dog or cat the way a smaller, more active bird would. Okay. So if you think of... We call we like to call pigeons the couch potatoes of the avian world because they're they are truly masters of the leisure arts. A pigeon says, if I have to choose between walking somewhere and napping on this cozy couch, I will definitely choose to nap on this cozy couch. And if they have to choose between walking somewhere or flying somewhere, they will almost always choose to walk if they can, even if they're fully capable of flying. And so... Because it's really cute, even going up and down the stairs, they hop up and down the stairs instead of flying up and down the stairs. It's adorable. It's adorable. <laughs> so because, you know, if you think of a small bird like a canary or a parakeet, they're flying around the room regularly, and that can trigger that grab instinct in a dog or a cat. But a pigeon who's larger and tends to kind of stroll leisurely doesn't really trigger that instinctual reaction in a dog or cat and also pigeons are very brave they'll walk right up to a dog or cat and say you know hey i live here too don't mess with me (laughs) and (laughs) and usually you know with supervised introductions and the fact that pigeons just aren't as active as smaller birds it usually goes very well of course we always tell potential adopters you know you know your your pets best there are some dogs and cats with an extremely high prey drive where it's mm-hmm. just stressful mm-hmm. for the dog or the cat. But um, but for the most part, most pigeon households also do have dogs and cats safely. So at, when you're starting off, would you, uh, if you're going away or going to work for the day, would you put the pigeon, uh, like keep them in separate rooms or, or something so to make sure that the cat or dog doesn't go after the pigeon? Yes. So if you if you have the space and you're not home during the day, having a, a room where the pigeon can be by themselves safely but not inside a cage is ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not, so pigeons are extremely social. So if someone is, if during work school hours there really isn't a person at home, then we recommend adopting or fostering a pair of pigeons so that they have each other for company. And 
so in that case, especially, they don't really need a large radius of space because a pair of pigeons likes to spend most of their time nesting (laughs) or building a nest or cuddling. Um, So, yeah, a a room or otherwise a small a small open space during the day that the dog or cat can't can't access. Yeah. Is is ideal. And then if you're home, uh, you, you know, during the day, like I have the luxury of working from home, then a single pigeon just bonds with the human as their source of of social interaction. They can they can um, obtain the they can have those social needs met by a person as long as the person is home with them enough. Right. Uh, And uh, I want to tell you real quickly about a story in July that really shook me up. I was getting off uh, Metra and walking down uh, walking down the ramp under the Irving Park Irving Park Metra and CTA line where there's always a lot of pigeons. And I saw a guy throwing out some food and I I thought it was kind of nice. And then as I got closer, as I was walking actually toward him, I saw him and two other men like kind of scuffling on the ground and they basically had a net and they each had one or two pigeons in their hands. And as I got closer, I said, what are you doing? And they just kind of ignored me. I, I said, what are you doing? And they said, we're taking them. And I said, why? And they said, they're going to eat them. And I, I asked him, I said, can you just please let them go? I said, there are plenty of options, food options in the city. You don't have to eat pigeons. And uh, they just walked away from me, each carrying some, uh, you know, there were three guys and they had one or two pigeons in each of their hands and they walked away. And I was devastated. And um, they told me, they're like, they said, there's no law from preventing us to, from doing this. And so, um, it just shook me up, and uh, I really didn't know what to do. But do you have any thoughts on that? It's so hmm. heartbreaking, and and honestly, um, many people don't realize that. In addition to what you saw, which which it does occur, sadly, um, there is something called the squab industry, where pigeons are raised as farmed livestock, just as chickens and turkeys are, for for meat. And so this is another way that pigeons are exploited um, in addition to, you know, suffering in our cities when they when they run into to cruelty. Um, Pigeons are also raised by humans for other exploitative reasons that we can get into later if we have time. But it is it is very it is very sad. And they are corrected. Unfortunately, there are no laws against it. Some of the live slaughter markets that operate in Chicago um, regularly offer pigeons uh, for sale for human consumption. Um, I, as a, not only, of course, am I bothered by this because the story of Jonah is just one piece of evidence about how badly pigeons want to live. And certainly it's very sad that these people are exploiting, um, you know, these, these birds' domesticity and trust. But... Uh, as I think the best, if you run across this, the best response you can probably take to try to convince the people otherwise is, um, so I'm a human nurse um, originally in my day job. And so from a public health perspective, I would try and explain to these people that this is a very hazardous food item. Mm-hmm. Um 
you know, pigeons are trying to survive in the city in very unfortunate conditions. People often complain that pigeons are, are dirty. They're actually fastidiously clean birds, but sadly they're often being forced to live in very dirty conditions, mm-hmm. um, eating very eating very poor nutrition. So, I mean, I, I won't go into such... Um, details on the show, but I could certainly rattle off a list of um, parasites and things that these people could potentially get by eating pigeons. They are not diseases that you can get by handling pigeons, only by actually eating the pigeons. Um, That might, I think that's probably the only deterrent that I can think of Mm. if they're not, if they're not you know, willing to be appealed to by compassion. Um, Liz, do you have any thoughts on this? That's an interesting and heartbreaking question. I'm like Jody. I'm really uh, disheartened by, I've, I've never heard that. I've never seen that. So I would have been equally upset. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the point that you make is a, a good distinction. Uh, eating a pigeon is, is, would be another good angle to stop people from, you know, continuing to do that. And then also the point that handling a pigeon, you know, is not saying that you're going to get cooties from it. <laughs> Right. 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 Yes. Absolutely. There was another time that uh, same thing. I was getting off the train, the metro, and walking down, and it was the same area. And there was the same where these guys had thrown the net over. There was a trap there. And as I was walking closer, I I was looking and thinking, what is that? And it was a trap. And I, I actually took the trap and I put it, I tried to. Uh, tried to break it so it wouldn't work and then I put it in the garbage I found a dumpster and this guy came up to me he's like what are you doing (laughs) and I just said what are you doing and he um, went and got the trap and put it he he said he had a right to he had the keys to go under like the CTA where it's all locked up and set traps so I witnessed some very sad situations there where those pigeons congregate. And uh, I just realized that I'm going to have to have you both on the show again because <laughs> there's a lot more I want to talk to you about. Um, and uh, we would love we would love to return. Yeah. Yes. I feel like there is that we've, <laughs> yeah. we've barely scratched the surface. And, right. you're, and you're right. There are there are measures that the city is currently taking um, at CTA stations, at Union Station. There's a heartbreaking story I could tell you about Union Station, but I know we're out of time. Um, and I think it's important to make people aware because I don't think people want our city of Chicago torturing pigeons. No, I don't think that's how we want our city. I don't think that's how we want our city taxes to be spent. So I appreciate you bringing this to to the public's awareness, yeah. Jody. Yeah, and I mean, I would love to. I mean, somehow work together if we can. I mean, I'm busy. You're busy, but uh, to educate the Chicago officials and other city officials about why these birds have a right to be here, like you said, they were brought here. It wasn't their idea to just be delivered into. U.S. big cities, U.S.'s big cities. So, um, and then that we shouldn't be spending, like you said, our tax dollars to harm them or and kill them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we have just a couple minutes left. So, uh, real quickly, uh, what can the public do uh, if they see an injured pigeon, and how can we? Well, I think I'm going to have to save that question. I was going to say, how can we change the public's opinion? But let's talk about that next time. But how can the public help an injured bird if they see one? 
Yes, thank you so much for asking. So I want everyone to know that you can be empowered to be a first responder for birds. If you see an injured pigeon, you have the you have the ability to save this pigeon's life. And no, I'm not asking you to do CPR. The first thing that you want to do is is transfer the bird to either a cardboard box or a brown paper bag. And I know most people are thinking, I wouldn't have either of those things when I'm just, you know, doing my regular commute in Chicago. Well, I... You have, I have very good luck, and most people do also, of just popping into a, the closest convenience store or coffee shop and asking for a brown paper bag. That's all you need. And you can transfer the bird. Uh, if you're not comfortable touching the bird, uh, like Liz says, you won't. You're not, in, you're not in public health danger by touching the pigeon, right. but if you're not comfortable touching the pigeon directly... You can take, um, you know, any piece of, of fabric, like uh, an old towel or some paper towel or some napkins, and kind of gently toss it over the bird, bundle that around the bird, and then transfer your little bundle of pigeon into the cardboard box or the brown paper bag, and then go ahead and close the lid securely so people don't have to worry about, um, you know, having a pigeon pop out on their hands. And we say brown paper bag or cardboard box because those are porous materials. You can close the top securely and the bird will still have airflow through the side. It's really important important that your first step is to contain the bird and then contact us. You can reach us uh, if you go on our website. Um, it will give you our, fo- our phone number, although because we're a small all-volunteer organization, that's not the fastest way to reach us. The fastest way to reach us is if you have Facebook or Instagram Messenger. And you can message us. We'll get back to you quickly. Otherwise, you can leave a, a message on our voicemail or send us an email. But Messenger is the fastest way to reach us. And the reason why I say, and you can just say, uh, you know, just send a message quickly. I have an injured pigeon. I'm at this location. If you'd rather switch to phone, you're welcome to leave your number so that someone can call or text you. And um, the reason why I say contain the bird first is so many well-meaning people think, oh, I'm going to go home and call, you know, the pigeon rescue, and then I'll go back to wait for help. And in the maybe five or ten minutes that they wait to go back, sadly, you know, a stray cat who's also just trying to survive mm-hmm. has killed the pigeon, or a hawk or a falcon who's also just trying to survive right. has killed the pigeon. Mm-hmm. Um, or the pigeon has accidentally flopped into the road and been run over a car or all sorts of so that's why I always say first thing to do contain the bird and then you can reach out reach out to us and um, if you're anywhere in the state of Illinois or near the Illinois Indiana border we can help yeah so look up Great Lakes Pigeon Rescue uh, their website social media um, where you can find that information and if you need help and uh, ladies I loved uh, having you on today I love what you do I appreciate your work so much so thank you very much thank Thank you you, so much so much aspiration thank you for your work so much admiration yeah so much admiration for all that you do and all you accomplish you and Um, your organizations are an inspiration well thank you and and you are as well and just keep in mind that uh you know these birds are just trying to survive like we are and uh they coo like you know like cats purr and so give them a chance (laughs) and don't be at the very least don't harm them or hurt them so thanks again ladies and i will definitely I've, i've i've got a whole list of questions that we didn't get to that uh i'll i'll save for ne- next time and we'll we'll keep having you on and um and maybe change the uh 
public's opinion of of these lovely animals. That's Thank great. You so much. We look forward to returning. Thank okay. you, Jody. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Between guests, I'd like to thank my friends and former bosses, Christine Dorchak and Carrie Teal of Gray 2K USA Worldwide, for supporting this show. They work tirelessly to end the cruelty of dog racing across the globe. Learn more about how a small group of people can make a big difference for animals at gray2kusa.org. Thank you, Christine and Carrie, for all you do for the greyhounds. Now I'm going to read the bio of my next guest, guest Ellie Hansen. She is an award-winning writer and animal advocate. Ellie's published works include two books focusing on profound human relationships with dogs. In 2015, Ellie adopted two beagles who were used for much of their lives for pharmaceutical research in undisclosed U.S. laboratories. Both dogs were severely traumatized and needed extensive rehabilitation to acclimate to their new lives outside the laboratory. Witnessing their resilience and uncovering the facts about dogs used for research inspired Ellie to write her second book, Laboratory Dogs Rescued from Test Subjects to Beloved Companions. Ellie is also the producer and host of the Dog Research Exposed podcast dedicated to disseminating information related to ending this cruel and outdated practice of using dogs in chemical and biomedical research worldwide. Wow, that's a lot. So I'm so appreciative of her work. Welcome, Ellie. No, thank you for having me. Thank you very much. I am so happy for what you do. Actually, this cause is very near and dear to me uh, as my first real job in animal protection was at the National Anti-Vivisection Society uh, in Chicago. From there, I went to Boston and worked for the New England Anti-Vivisection Society. And I worked for these two organizations that um, just weren't very active. And um, I'll say that you know, out loud. They didn't do much work on the issue. And that's what prompted me to form the Center for Ethical Science here in Chicago. And unfortunately, I'm not doing a lot on it because I got, um, I then started Chicago Alliance for Animals and have been working on other issues. But um, I, so I appreciate you being out there and exposing what happens to dogs in laboratories. So please tell us about the Dog Research Exposed podcast. Well, after um, I wrote my book, Laboratory Dogs Rescued. Um, I didn't want to just sit back and just be like, okay, that's it. Book's published. It's going to fix the problem, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I, not, this cause is very near and dear to my heart, too. Like, it's, I tell people it's literally why I think I'm on this earth, as weird as that sounds. That's not weird at um, all. I know exactly what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a magnet pulling me, like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And so I didn't want to just stop. It's not time to stop. This is the time we need for this issue, for dogs and research. Um, We need to keep pushing and pushing. Now is the time. You know, we have the new technology now. It's... Um, So I knew it wasn't time to just sit back. And so I decided, well, I've made all these great contacts interviewing, you know, people for my book, Um, you know, distinguished scientists and other animal rights advocate leaders of other nonprofits and who are just they're right in there, you know, in the middle of this this battle, I'll call it. Um, and I said, you know, I'm going to keep interviewing people. I want to keep talking. I want to keep this discussion going. It needs to stay out in the open, in the light, because where these animal testing companies want this issue to remain is in the darkness. Oh, definitely. And, and so um, I decided, well, 
um, I'm going to start a, a podcast and I'm going to continue interviewing people. And so I started interviewing people for my podcast and it's an educational podcast. So it's, um, I feel like every person that, that is a guest on my program has so much valuable information to offer, whether it's from a scientific standpoint point or an animal welfare standpoint or even rescue. I mean, we have had, we've had the people on the forefront on my show, like, um, Shannon Keith, mm-hmm. who's the president of Beagle Freedom Project. Right. And, um, Ingrid Newkirk was a guest, one of our very first guests, actually. Um, who's the founder of PETA. So we, we really strive to just keep this discussion going and keep the facts flying mm-hmm. over the airwaves, <laughs> you know, um, to shed light on all of it. Right. So we do one podcast episode every month. Okay. And, uh, you know, this boils down to money, Animal research and animal experimentation, it always boils down to money. And uh, can you, uh, I'll give an example. Um, back when I worked on Center for Ethical Science and I would research uh, some of the the experiments and studies being done on animals, uh, oftentimes researchers will get the same amount of money each year uh, ta- from our tax dollars to do basically the same experiment, but they get a new you know, 15 dogs or cats or rabbits or rats. And uh, they change the experiment slightly, the protocol. And then they get the same six-figure salary, six-figure grant to, uh, to, to experiment on and harm these animals. So oftentimes, this is a big, it's as long as they keep the money flowing, they get, get to keep killing animals. Uh, so do you want to talk about that at all? Well, yeah, I mean, um, I know we're going to talk about this coming up, but we're currently on a a tour with the Dog Research Exposed, and um, I have some universities on that list, and we already went to one university, Texas A&M University, and you're very right. Um, in today's day and age, students, there's no reason to use hundreds of dogs in painful research. Um, you know, I just feel like we're all, we're just on this edge of needing to invest in the non-animal technologies. And I, sometimes I wonder why, I don't know, like more universities or companies just aren't investing in it or are hesitant or what, because I just don't, yeah, I agree with you. It's the money from the grants. You know, and it, it gets the money gets people stuck in their ways because it feels safe. It's also right? easy. Money. It's, they're getting it's easy and big, safe. big money to do the same experiment they've done for the last 20 years. The same. Yeah. And it, when you read some of the uh, descriptions of these experiments, it has no bearing on human health. Oftentimes it has nothing to do with <laughs> curing cancer. Uh, so we're talking about these Experiments that happen at every university, not every, but many, many universities, again, with our tax dollars. And if the public only knew what happens to these dogs and all animals, Mm -hmm. I mean, all these animals that feel the same pain, uh, they would be outraged. And and like you said, it's all about keeping it hidden, keeping it behind closed doors, behind laboratory doors. 
I mean, we've I've just been to one university campus so far. I have, like I said, quite a few on my list where um, the students don't even know. No. I talked to one student and I said, you know, there's dogs being experimented on here and painful experiments at your university. And she looked at me like I had no idea. She had no idea. And I'm, and wherever this building was, where the dogs were, it, we couldn't find it. We literally were on the campus for like three hours on our bikes trying to find it and we couldn't so they're hidden in a basement yep. somewhere or and you're talking not just a couple of dogs we're talking hundreds of dogs are hidden somewhere on that campus yeah so and and so if you are going to college and uh, a major you know state school there's a very very good chance that there is a basement in one of the buildings on your campus where there are a lot hundreds like you said hundreds if not thousands of animals yep. in tiny cages being poked and yep. prodded and poisoned and killed uh, with your tax dollars and so if this is something if you're listening and this is something that upsets you or angers you um, get in touch with Ellie get in touch with me and we can help you to start exposing uh, what happens on your college campus. It also help happens at major companies too, of course. But uh, yeah, so uh, I know uh, there are so many cities on your tour. I was looking at the schedule. It's really impressive. Uh, so where has the Dog Research Exposed Tour been so far this year? And do you want to shout out some of the cities that you're going to? Yeah, um, so we started our tour officially in early, actually it was late January. Um, we have been to Colorado, and we exposed, um, let's see, two research facilities. Um, they're contract research facilities or contract research organizations, so like other companies will hire them to test their drugs or their chemicals or whatever. And um, the two we visited in Colorado were in Fort Collins. One was called Bronco Research Services, which is actually um, owned by a company called Innotive, which also owned a company called Invigo, which was, um, I don't know if everybody might not know about Invigo, but Invigo had a huge facility in Virginia with over 4,000 beagles. And uh, at the end of in the summer of 2022, that they sh they shut it down because of an undercover investigation done by PETA, okay. which had like 250 pages of animal welfare violations. It was just it was horrendous. So um, anyway, if you backtrack, so Bronco Research Services. Um, it's owned by a notive, but you wouldn't know that because they have two separate names. And so that's another way these companies stay hidden. It's they, they'll have it like another name, you know what I mean? And so anyway, that's one of the places we went to visit that was stuck back in an industrial park, really hidden. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew it was there. And they had, oh, I think over 400 dogs in there. So a huge research facility. Um, the other one was called Mountain West Research, another CRO, and that was also in Fort Collins, and uh, they were hidden down a dirt county road. So it was um, no name on the building, also very hidden. Um, they did not like that we were there, let's put it that way. Um, then, so, and then we delivered a petition to the governor in Denver to let him know these places are in your state. You should care about that. Mm-hmm. And then, then we um, headed to Texas, and we went to Texas A&M University, and another 
contract research organization called Still Meadow Inc. Once again, hidden in some, you know, industrial park. You never know it's there. So um, we've gone, we've done Colorado and Texas. And coming up, we have, oh, I think it's 23, 23 states ahead of us. And like you said, a ton of cities. Um I have too many cities to name. We'd be here for like five, <laughs> sure. you know, five minutes. Just. Yeah, maybe some <laughs> of the upcoming up, cities. Some of the upcoming cities are going to be. We're headed to Louisiana. We're going to be in Baton Rouge. Um, then we're headed to Alabama. Believe it or not, there's a research facility there that we are definitely going to visit. Um, so we're kind of tracking along the 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 south, and then we're going to be tracking up the east coast. And then we're going to be um, going through, like, along the, the Great Lakes area, like Illinois. So we're definitely going to be going to Chicago. Um, believe it or not, most of the research facilities, like, I'm going to say the busiest part of this tour is going to be up in those states like Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin. Those are the those are the ones where I'm going to be like so busy. We're going to be so busy because there's that many research testing facilities on dogs in those states. Wow. And I saw that you're coming to Chicago in October and um, I I would love to help any way I can uh, with your tour, with promoting the information. When I worked on Center for Ethical Science, which is really a thorn in my side because I really want to get back to this issue, but I'm so overwhelmed with the campaigns I have going on with Chicago Alliance for Animals and I really don't have uh, you know, it's kind of just me. I have some volunteers, but I don't have a, you know, it's very grassroots. So, but I, uh, we had done protests against Northwestern University. Right. And uh, outside. And I remember one protest, we were outside trying to educate them. And I had printed out many of the, uh, some of the experiments on cats that they were doing at the time. And uh, uh, one guy came up to me and he said, he said, I am. I'm trying to remember what he said, what he said exactly. But he said, I am the person who does these. And I said, what? And he said, I am the person who kills the animals. And I I wish I had somehow gotten that on film or audio of him saying that, because that shows you the exact mind of an animal researcher. He is so numb to the suffering and the killing Mm -hmm. that he had no problem walking right up to me and just saying, I'm the one who kills the animals. So he was proud of it. Uh, so right. sorry to go off on a tangent there, but uh, yeah, no. but I would love to help you when you get to Chicago. And uh, my sister is in Massachusetts, and I know you're looking for hosts to for your RV. So I'd love right. to talk to you about that too. And Jamie, if you're listening, sure, <laughs> sure. And yeah. so t- um, we have we've had um, several. We actually have several stops at people who've agreed who've invited us to stay at their, you know their house for a night or two, you know, because RV is not small, but it's not huge either. So we can typically fit into somebody's driveway if they have space. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Uh, And how can people sign your petition uh, to these dog research facilities? Well, the best, the best, um, the easy, it's super easy. You just go to dogresearchexposed.com and there's a big, like a button on the top, right? That says take action. And you just click on take action and the petitions right there and it's super easy to sign. And 
I specifically made this petition where I'm not asking for people's email because this, to me, this is not about gathering emails to to market. This is literally I. We're looking for forty eight thousand signatures. That is one signature for every dog at this moment that's being experimented on in okay. some awful way. Wow! So we're looking for forty eight thousand signatures. We have seven thousand five hundred right now. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but like like you, I'm a grassroots organization. It's Dog Research Exposed is just um, me. You know, I pretty much do all of it. And I have my husband, who's my like, tech support, and he's my video guy. He'll video our petition deliveries. So, you know, anybody who's able to just sign the petition and share it with their friends, um, we still need to get to 48,000. And I'm hoping within the year that we can do that. And you deliver you deliver these petitions to the universities or to elected officials or both? Um, so a combination. Okay. I literally personally walk the petition into like the a university president's office. I wow. I don't have an appoint I don't have an appointment. They would never he would never invite me to for an appointment, right? Right. So I just literally find the president's office. I walk in and I tell them who I'm from with my business card and the huge stack of signatures. And I leave the petition with the president's secretary. That's what I do at a university. At a research facility, I literally walk through the doors. If the doors are open, sometimes they'll lock. They're locked. You can't get in. And um, I leave it with somebody at the laboratory. And so it's, it's, it's a little nerve wracking because I never know what's going to happen. But, um, so far I've been able to deliver the petition personally and hand it off to some, to somebody. So, well, that's great work. That's very powerful. And, uh, I'm sorry to say that we are starting to run out of time, but I definitely uh, appreciate what you do uh, so much. And I'd love to have you on again, maybe a closer to your Chicago visit. Um, so definitely, uh, just give people real quickly your website or where they can sign the petition again. Yes, it's dogresearchexposed.com and click on Take Action. Well, Ellie, thank you so much for uh, coming on today and um, I will be in touch. I'm going to share your petition on CAA's page, um, on all my social media outlets and uh, I'd like to talk to you again and uh, really promote this when you come back uh, to the Chicagoland area, okay? Thank you, Jody, so much for your help with this. Yes, de- definitely. Thank you so much, and um, I'll be in touch with you soon. Take care. Okay. Thank right. you, too. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, I'm going to end with this quote today. Pigeons are among the most maligned urban wildlife, despite the fact that human be- beings brought them to our shores and turned them loose in our cities, not something that they chose. That was from Ingrid Newkirk, the co-founder of People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. So thanks for listening today. And uh, this is Jody Whitaker of the Chicago Alliance for Animals. Please visit us at chicagoallianceforanimals.org or find us on Facebook to help us with our very active campaigns to free spur, free Rocky, and ban horse carriages worldwide. Thank you again. 